Welcome to the Rent to Rent Success Podcast, the only podcast entirely dedicated to helping you achieve rent to rent success. We talk about the ethical way to get you started in property without buying it. This is our place to inspire each other to believe bigger, to be bolder, and to be game changers for good. Property investors and sisters Stephanie and Nikki Taylor are your guides on this exciting ride. Let's start up the engines and get ready to fly. Hello, hello, hello. Stephanie here and welcome aboard episode 66 of the Rent to Rent Success podcast. And today we are talking about commercial property. Whether you're new to property or experienced, you'll love today's insights into how commercial property can help you to grow your your wealth and your business. Now, I love rent to rent as a business model. And the idea of guaranteed rent in residential property and commercial leases in residential property actually came over from commercial property. So today I'm delighted to welcome Jerry Alexander. Now, Jerry started off with simple residential buy-to-let strategy, which has now morphed into a large portfolio of multi-let buildings. Jerry's niche, niche is CMO, which is the equivalent of HMO, but for commercial property. And Jerry hosts the hugely popular Commercial Property Investors podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Jerry. It's great to have you with us. It's super to be here. Thanks, Stephanie. And that sound that was so succinct. I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not getting away that easy. Uh, we want to know the full nine one one. So, uh, tell us a little bit about you, Jerry. Um, how did you get started in property initially? Okay, so I I've always had interest in buildings, and I did actually end up doing a building sort of qualification, but it was in building engineering. Goodness me, I can't remember any of that. But I had an interest in buildings. And then I read Kiyosaki, the usual book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I read Richest Man in Babylon. And both of those taught me I needed to get going and what to do, or at least to get started. So I started buying simple buy-to-lets, which I would refurb, do up, rent out, and then refinance. So I was just going through the usual thing. And of course, at the time, I thought, well, I have to save up deposits, don't I, right? So that's what you do. You save up the deposit. I did get some private finance, although at the time, I didn't think of it as such, which helped kickstart it. But then ultimately, I moved from resi into commercial. So yeah, it's been it's been interesting. I, I couldn't sit here and say that it was a strategy I wanted to do. And that's exactly where I had my focus. But in the end, um, through a few different reasons, I ended up doing commercial property. And and I haven't looked back. In fact, we don't have any residential anymore now. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm just intrigued because it wasn't a set plan that you had. How did you get into it in the first place? So there you were buying your single lets. How did you go from there? How did you? So have you ever played Cash Flow from Robert Kiyosaki, Stephanie? Have you ever played the board game? I haven't played the board game. Okay, no worries. So in the game, you pick up um, assets, all right? And the idea is yeah. to try and get out of the rat race. And and there's two types of deals in this game. One of them is small deals, which might include stocks and shares or buying buy-to-lets. And then there's big deals, which are you need a minimum of money to buy them, and they're a bit more interesting. And I was going around in life thinking, how do I find a real big deal? How do I find a big deal? Where are they? 
how do I get something that's got more scale? So these days, people might look at HMO or they might look at um, a, a multi-let, um, even, even if they are separate units, but a multi-let building for residential. But at the time, I didn't really know what that was going to, what form it was going to take. But what I did do is I went to the agent locally, the resi guy that I was dealing with, the surveyor, and said, you know, I'm thinking about trying to do something bigger. What should we do? And, and he said, well, look, maybe you should talk to my colleague here in, in commercial. So when I started talking to him, which I have to say took a bit of time because, as usual, as an agent, he was ignoring my phone calls and the secretary wasn't returning my phone calls and all that sort of stuff. But eventually I got to see him. And he said to me, he said, oh, Jerry, yes, yes, there is some good deals around. The thing is, in the local market, there's about three or four guys that buy that stuff. They get they see it first. And if they haven't bought it, it'll come on the market. But, of course, by default, it's probably not a good deal. So if I were you, I would stick to that residential thing. So... So that wasn't a great introduction, but I carried on looking and I ended up finding it through networking at the local gym. Somebody who was thinking about doing resi and a relative had a commercial building they might be selling. And cut a long story short, about 12 months later, we finally bought a multi-let commercial building. But I did not go out there looking for such a thing. I didn't even know such a thing existed, of course. But that's how we got into it. It was just that hunger for trying to find a bit more scale. Yeah, and uh, tell us about the first one. Can you remember what the investment was? Yes, so um, we still have it. So that was um, 2004 we bought that building, so we still have it. At the time, it cost £240,000 plus £8,000 in stamp duty and the VAT. (laughs) At at the time, um, you could have probably bought a three four bedroom house where we are for the same price so wow. what i did was i sold two houses or a flat in a house or something anyway i sold some resi so i had some money to go and buy this building and at the time it was about 20 let me get this right about 24 separate units within the building not big units mm. one person offices up to maybe 10 person offices and a little bit of workspace or or workshop space but it wasn't particularly run brilliantly it was 100% let which is good did mean that we didn't pay we paid a fair price for it but over the next three or four years whilst I'm running another business we did it up somebody moved out we did up their unit we maybe put in a suspended ceiling whatever we put in staff a member of staff to look after the building and then we ended up with 35 units by splitting bits and pieces up and we we actually tripled the income which was brilliant now the income was 24 grand initially, which is why the valuation came out at 240. We managed to get out to about 75. And then I, th- I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go and buy another one. And I and I found one. And the bank said, well, we'll need to get a revaluation on this other one. And I had no idea what happened to the value of it. And said, all right, fine. So we got the valuer out. The valuer came out. I had a look around. And he phones me up and he says, Jerry, um, so what do you think? And I'm like, well, um, I'm not going to say anything. You're... <laughs> That's why you're here. Yeah. So he said, well, I think it's probably worth about 700 750 Exactly. And I was like, really? And, of course, all I'd been doing is working on building up cash flow because that's what I was investing for. But what I hadn't realized was that commercial is so orientated, the value of commercial is so orientated around the income. Yeah. So I'd increased the rent, tripled it, and it tripled the value of the building. 
So that was a big light bulb moment because originally when I was doing Resi, what I thought you did with commercial was you parked money in it. Mm-hmm. So with Resi, you buy it, you try and do it up, you try and add value or buy it below market value. And then to be fair, you kind of sit and wait for the market to go up. Yeah. And in commercial, I thought you bought an asset at a 10% yield and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you get a lease, of course, and, and you sit and just enjoy the 10%, which isn't a great return mm-hmm. overall. But what I realized after getting that revaluation was commercial can be a really active sport and you, you can really add value by affecting things to do with stuff that's in your control. You're not sitting and waiting for the market to change. You change what the offer is and you can increase the value. So that was really, really interesting. So that's why we doubled down and got much more busy in commercial. That is a phenomenal story. I, I just love it. We, we've had some small uh, experience within uh, commercial as well. And I love that very fact that you're just talking about there, that you uplift the value uh, just by uplifting the rent. And um, it's so easy to do that. And, and you're not at the mercy of, um, you know, markets or anything else. You, you, you can actively pursue it. So tell us, you've got this one unit now gone from 24 units up to 34. And where did you go next? So it, it, this was in 2009. So there's some similarities with where we are right now. Okay, I know planning things are changing and there's, you know, a class E and all that stuff. But in terms of the economy, mm. in 2009, obviously the proverbial hit the fan and things started changing. And mm. and what happened was the value of some commercial properties or the or at least the sales price of commercial properties started coming down. But the other thing that changed was that there was lots more companies looking to come out of leases where they're they're effectively on a five or a 10-year lease and thinking, I don't really want to sign up for another five years because I don't know what the economy is going to do. And you think about that, there's lots right now, yeah? So over the next two or three years, I fully expect quite a lot of leased companies with leases looking for more flexible options because that's what happened last time. So you had this double whammy where property got a bit more attainable because the value came or the cost came down. And the demand started going up because people started coming out of fleece. Anyway, so in 2009, we managed to find another building at a good price. This one had, in well, now has 100, now has 55 units in it and some storage around it as well. So we put containers around it as well. And it was about, about twice the size of the first one, but it was really poorly run very under-occupied, and over the next two or three years, we redeveloped it and just satisfied these inquiries that were coming in because of what was happening in the economy. Mm-hmm. And then we were fortunate enough to buy the one across the road about three, four years later, and then we bought another one, which was our first historical building. I really like that's what I kind of wanted to do all this for, was doing up old buildings. I love old buildings, all the character and everything. And we bought this one that had um, a jail in it, a courthouse, Ah. Sorry, a courtroom, a three-story jail, a mortuary, and like, um, well, the jail yard with like this 12-foot wall, but also um, like a registry office. It was kind of like the local court building. Yeah. So quite a quirky space. and But because we'd had successes with the other buildings, we managed to get the bank to fully fund that one yeah. and redevelop. It was the first one we bought that with no income at all. 
and we managed to redevelop that and then we've gone on and done done a few more subsequently but the the historical stuff is the bit that i really enjoy so that's where i'm trying to at at the end of the day if an asset's going to make money great but i really do enjoy the older ones so i'm still still always looking out for those older listed buildings to repurpose yeah and i just wanted to point out you're on instagram jerry so people can follow you there and keep up with with some of the buildings and so on so have i got that right jerry alexander 101 on instagram it's jerry alexander dot commercial sorry it's uh, right there in front of my face and i didn't even pay attention to the exact jerry, jerry alexander dot commercial dot commercial so if you want to keep up with yeah, jerry-, jerry alexander 101 i think it's facebook Ah, oh, right. Okay. So there you, there we go. JerryAlexander.commercial. Yes, it's um, it's interesting. Tell us a little bit about the financing, because you mentioned there that this was the first one that you had fully financed. Um, is that for the purchase and for the development? That was for the purchase. I got private money in for the development. Yeah. So, so we, um, we, we've been really lucky we, from a from a financial institution point of view, all our funding has come from high street banks. Yeah. In terms of like some longer term debt, we've got some private financing. And recently we bought a commercial building, actually our biggest one to date, all with private money, which is great. So there's no, there's no bank debt on that one at all. Yeah. And there's no developer finance either. It's just purely um, private loans that's in that one. But the, the historical one was bank funded 100% of the purchase. And to be fair, they gave a bit towards the finance of the deal. The heating, we put in a biomass boiler, that was asset financed. And then the redevelopment itself was through private finance. So it was a mix, but we basically didn't really put anything into that deal, which was really quite interesting. Yeah, I, I love that. Um People can see from just listening, especially on that first deal where you were just not not realizing how amazing it would be, how uh, useful commercial can be. What's the first thing that you would say that someone should do if they were thinking about getting started in commercial property? So the, the thing about commercial property that I think people find frustrating and, and look at it and then get distracted back to resi is the fact that the market's pretty... Um, opaque it's not very transparent so on on resi you can go on right move and find houses and flats whatever pretty much everywhere you can see stats on what's sold and what hasn't and all that sort of stuff and commercial is a bit more tricky agents tend not to return your phone calls certainly don't return my phone calls maybe it's just me and it can be quite difficult to work out what's going on so the first thing i would say is people really need to try and just get in the swim and understand what the the different strategies are in this market. As you mentioned at the start, my strategy is multi-let, but there are lots of other strategies within this, this marketplace. And I think one of the most important things is just to give yourself some more context about how this market works. Listen to podcasts, read some books, um, go on Clubhouse, get involved in some of those conversations, and don't necessarily take what the press says about commercial or what the headlines say about commercial as verbatim, because what happens in your target market is really 99% of the effect there is local supply and demand 
whereas national macroeconomics has an impact, but nowhere near as much as local stuff. So I wouldn't get put off by what everybody says in the news and everything, And I, but I would, I would absorb it all hmm. so you can get a better understanding of how this marketplace works. And then when you do get started, start small. Mm, great advice, Jerry. And I just want to give a shout out. You have got your commercial property investors podcast. Uh, so yes, people thank you. can binge listen that as I have and get lots of different angles on um, on commercial property investing. And I, I think many of our listeners who are interested in HMO in residential property investing, that's houses of multiple occupation or house shares, will be also be interested in CMO, what you do where you've got your commercial multiple occupation as well. Um so you've given us some ideas of what people can do when they're first getting started off. And now I want to ask the other side is, what's the biggest mistake you see people making in commercial, maybe who don't have as much experience? I think the thing that holds people back the most in commercial, um, or let me rephrase that, the thing that's held me back the most in commercial is the person sitting in my seat. Uh, and I know that I know that's the same in lots of things, right? But... <laughs> It's so true because there could be somebody else sitting in the house down the road from me here who's doing commercial property and their expectations completely different. And that's only what's going on in their head. And it makes all the difference in the world. You know, it's, it's about expectation and sitting yourself around people who are going to add rather than subtract. So conditioning is really, really important and, and being self-aware. So, you know, it, if you're getting into residential property and you think one property a year for 10 years is a good strategy and, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you think that's what's possible, then that's probably what you'll end up doing. But what you don't know is that there's a meeting going on next door with five investors who are all thinking about adding 10 a year Yeah. in the next five years. And they've got 50 and you've got five. And the only difference was the expectation and mm -hmm. the, the conditioning that you're so it's really important to be aware of where your thinking's at and how you can circumnavigate how you can get yourself out of the way well, <laughs> so that would be one of the big tips i would say yeah and it's an answer people really like but i'm very interested in it jerry and obviously you you have um, changed your mindset a lot from when you very first started and you told us about the single lets you were going for and you were unaware of all these other things. What would you say is the thing that's pushed the needle the biggest to allow you to take on these much bigger deals and look at the private finance and all the other things? Is there Are there one or a few things that you think have done that for you? So the, the thing that's probably done the most for me there, which is not a great answer for your listeners, is time. Yes. Because I've been doing this for a while mm. and private finance wasn't something, I, as I said, I did use it on the first one, but I never really thought about it as a strategy and I would have done it more. Mm -hmm. um, knowing how the market works and how to assess how the market is in those local areas and where the supply and demand is, is really important. And, and it's taken me ages to work out how to do that. And it's taken me ages to work out um, I guess, how to take these big problem buildings and change them into to better sustainable projects. And if I'd had a guiding hand, I would have done it a lot faster. My guiding hand has been time. So, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. It's allowed me to get to a reasonable level of success. But I think if I had more support, 
or if I'd seeked out more support, then I would be much further on, much further on. So my my biggest asset's been time, but that's not what all of us have. <laughs> and I'd rather yeah. have done it a lot quicker. Yeah, and people can do it more quickly by, as you say, working with an expert, you know, maybe like yourself, listening to the podcast and, and taking additional steps to get that support. Um, do, do you uh, work with people and support them in in getting started in commercial, Jerry? Yeah, so I mean, over the years, I've 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 helped lots of people. Have asked bits and pieces, but I've never had anything structured. Um, and time is short, yeah. So I I decided about a year ago to start doing a more official kind of process. So now I do run um, masterminds over like a nine month, twelve month period, yeah. where. Because commercial, you can't learn it all in two weeks and then go and hit the road running, right? You, you have to go, you have to learn something, get in the swim, go and learn, kick some tires, talk to some agents, look at properties, do some assessments, come back, learn a bit more, go back out in the field. So it takes a bit of time. And the fastest I've ever done in a deal, I've ever done a deal is nine months. Wow. Now, maybe I'm slow, but if you want to negotiate on price, one of the key things, key negotiators is time. Yeah. So... You, it does take time to go through these things and to know what to say and what to look for. So my personal approach is to help people over maybe a nine-month period to really work their way through the whole understanding, working out how the market works, how to look for these assets, how to finance them, and then, of course, potentially how to run them. Because there's three elements to this business, and it's the same in Resi. It's exactly the same in Resi. There's three elements. There's one, which is investing in property buying the asset and looking for a secure income. The second thing is developing, developing the asset. So you might buy a house and redevelop it. Now, you might have a developer or a main contractor that will do that, and it's the same in commercial. And then the third element is actually the managing of it. So in residential, that might be an, an agent, an agent, sorry, a, a residential agent. In commercial, it might be a commercial agent, or if you do – a more flexible offering that we do. We actually have our own agent effectively, which is our operations company. So yeah. you could do just investment, just development, or just operations. And incidentally, rent to rent. I mean, our sector has a lot of rent to rent businesses in yeah. it, where people will rent a commercial space. Somebody like Regis or WeWork, they don't tend to own their properties. They rent them and then sublet them. It's, it's very prevalent. It's been going, you know, 20, 30 years that's been going on in this industry. And it is a successful strategy. But you can choose to do one of those three or all of them. And, and in, in our market, or for us, we do all three. We, we try and find the assets, buy them, develop them ourselves, and maintain them because the margin across that is much higher. Mm. So it's, it's quite interesting. There's lots of different ways into it. Mm. Yeah, and and you can you can support people when they're getting started. Now, the two things that I want to come to before we close is I know that people will be very interested. You say you've attracted uh, private finance, um, you know, quite significant amounts, and I just wonder if you have any tips that you would like to pass on about that. Now, you have said one, which is time and experience. Um, is there anything else that you think is important? So um, experience doesn't have to be always yours. It could be your team, the people that are around you, your your squad, depending on what it is you're doing. Um, another one, I guess, is it, 
it's a it's partly to do with vision and being able to verbalize that vision of what you think can be done but i think a lot of the time this stuff is not reinventing the wheel you just maybe need to go and find some other similar projects that have been done they might not have been yours they might be somebody else's that you can use to to show those investors what's possible rather than just talking the talk and saying you know i think this will happen you've actually got to go and find those that information now for me it was doing one project, smaller project, pushing the envelope a little bit, next project, pushing the envelope a bit further, next project. Push. So when, when we bought the last last building, last building we bought had 15,000 square feet of vacant space, which on the business rates meant that just having that space empty was costing 40 grand a year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not a great investment, right? At least not on the face of it. It's minus 40 grand. But over time, if you work out how to get around these things and you can start to prove that and you've developed your skill set, people start trusting you more and more and more. So it's a little bit about the starting small and realizing that if I want to get more private finance, maybe I just have to take a step back and do a smaller project first. Then I'm going to work up to the big ones, even though the big ones look really great. Yeah. And some people want to just dive in all, you know, all guns blazing. But sometimes you've got to earn your earn your teeth or whatever it's called. Yeah. And you just yeah. start small and bring them with you. Bring yeah. them with you. And, and you can then move on to those bigger, bigger projects. I think some great advice there. And the the other the other brilliant piece of advice you gave was that the experience doesn't need to be your own. Because say, for example, if somebody partnered with you and um you know offered you something that made it a great deal for you and you're just giving your expertise and they're doing the donkey work um then that that could be a great arrangement for for both parties yes of course yep yep absolutely um the other one stephanie if you're looking at just commercial from a leasing point of view um one of the best strategies if you can do it is finding a tenant first then go and find the building because that way you when you go to raise the finance you've got a bit of security around it okay you're going to be spinning a few plates you know agreements and making sure everybody signs on the same day and all that sort of stuff but it is another way of getting in finding a demand and a lot of the time you'll actually just through conversations demand does present itself to yourself but if you're not tuned into it, you don't really know you've not really noticed but there might be somebody that you some of the contractors you work with need space or they need yard space or they they need to grow their business. And actually, you're just like, it just passes you by. You don't think about it. But if you're listening out, sometimes yeah. you're like, oh, I've got three contractors. They're all growing. They all want to be in a space. I've just got to go and find the building now. Yes. Yeah. Great advice again. And and our, our small foray into commercial is that we've got a, a large residential property with 12 units that's got one small shop on the front. And, and then we've got another property that is um, two offices and some resi that a landlord who we manage some of his properties for on the rent to rent HMO side um, has asked us to, to to take them over, so we're sort of taking a mini step into it. And but what I what we found is that um, although to believe the news, you would say there's no demand for for yeah. commercial, as you were saying. Actually, I've been surprised the number of phone calls I've had. The 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 shop, the little shop, is being refurbished, so we, we it's not available right now. Um, but we put our sign up in the window. And that's the only advertising, if you can call it that, that we've done. Um, we've had several phone calls about it, and they're all from, um, you know, a small one-man bands uh, type of companies. 
because, it, well, it's a small space, so it's, it just seems ideal for them. And some people can't wait to get out of the house now. <laughs> they want yeah. their own space. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the market is changing, but yeah, there's definitely opportunity. I mean, there are some parts of the market that are struggling, but I mean, as an example, industrial and storage, all our space is 100% let. That market's really strong right now. And there will be there will be a cross into retail where retail starts to um, – because at the end of the day, it's space, isn't it, right? It's all about space. We all deal with space, and it's about the – the, the, the ability to flex that space to suit new trends and new needs. And there will be new trends and new needs for, for retail. I do think some of the retail will morph a little bit into supporting some, what would have normally been industrial use. Yeah. Um, just from whether it's the, the last, you know, people that talk about couriers and deliveries and that last step and whether that's just on a local level in a shop, but you know, you need good access and things, but I think there's loads of way to reimagine these units and, and there's that strength that you're talking about there, which is people have gone local. They really like to support local business now, and people just want to start up their local businesses. So I should imagine some of the phone calls you're getting are from, yeah, they're certainly not national brands. They're just people that want to start yeah. their or get their own business into a, a, a professional environment. Yeah, and I was hearing that during, during the first lockdown um, that some of the safe, so-called safe commercial tenants the big brands were refusing to pay their rent yeah. whereas some of the smaller brands smaller businesses and one-man band type businesses do pay their rents uh so it's just uh um it's just been a, a new situation i i suppose in across the board but can i ask you um before we close today what are the opportunities that you are seeking out for yourself um, this year as we're moving into uh, un uncharted territory? Okay, so we've, we've got two buildings that still have to be optimised. One of them, we're building a, building it out for a venue space. So this is an old flour mill, and we've developed, it's about six stories, we've developed the other stories all into, into private space and shared space and things. Incidentally, we did do... Um, modeling for residential in that building, but commercial work better from yeah. a cash flow point of view. Anyway, um, we've got to develop out the ground floor. It's going to take a bit of time, but also our other development, the one we bought with the 15,000 square foot, that building there, where our model's evolving. So that will have some venue space, some recording studios for things like what we're doing here, a business lounge, flexible... Um, desk space just for for people just to come and use desks but then private rooms some light industrial so it's a, a right mix but it's trying to create a community of different businesses that can work sometimes together sometimes they're apart but but not necessarily all in a in a kind of a hippie fashion of you know we're all going to work together but just they're all in the same building and you can you can do business with each other but I guess it's that sense of community and that sense of um, being in a space where there's energy. So it's not just you, there's other activities going on, other people making things happen. And that really helps mm. other businesses grow. So that's the environment we're trying to create more. But in terms of investment, um, we're going to continue looking for similar buildings. I'm going to try and get another industrial building that I can split. We have one that we've split down before and make more of a serviced offering in that because I think that's definitely a, a growing opportunity. 
and I want to try and find more historical buildings because I just love doing them. Yeah, that that's brilliant, Jerry. I mean, it's been great to just get some small insights into the world of commercial property from you today. And we've seen that it can be a phenomenal strategy as well for, you know, for building your wealth and growing uh, the value of the assets that you own. So I thank you for coming and sharing that with us. Um, as my final question, um, what would you say is the best thing about now uh, being in property and and having property as your full time gig, choices, yeah, choices is is the the best thing. The other one is I feel like, especially with the older buildings, <clears throat> I can leave some kind of mark. Mm. So sustainability is kind of a good thing, you know. And 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 some of these buildings, you just have to think, well, I'm kind of a Dadian, if that's the right phrase, you know, I'm just looking after this. I need to redevelop it. I mean, make sure that this thing's sustainable into the future. Mm-hmm. That bit I really like. Yeah, I love that. And tell us where where can people find you, Jerry? So I'm um, in the usual places, and, and on uh, Clubhouse, which we've both spent a bit of time on. Your uh, my user handles just my name, Jerry Alexander, on LinkedIn, it's Jerry Alexander, and. Uh, the, I guess the best place really is just go and seek out the Commercial Property Investor podcast and there'll be show notes there where you can find other things but that's where I share a lot of the strategies and things that we've done and where we're at and how things are going and today I did an interview with somebody who's doing industrial space which is developing rather than just taking old stuff which is not something I've done it's just really fascinating I mean you'll know yourself doing these podcasts you learn so much don't you meet, yeah. meet great people and it's just really interesting to do so the podcast is a great place to go yeah, it, it's a phenomenal podcast. I really encourage you to go and check it out if you're the slightest bit interested in looking into commercial. Uh, so I want to now thank you, Jerry, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you about a topic we don't normally cover on this on this show. And also thank you for watching and for listening. And uh, until next week, have a great rest of the week. And remember, believe bigger, be bolder, be a game changer. See you next week. Bye for now. Thank you so much for being with me here today. If you would like more, we've written the number one best-selling book on Rents to Rent. You can find it at rentstorentsuccess.com slash book. Reviewers on Amazon have described it as the best Rent to Rent HMO book and also as a definitive reference guide and inspirational. Take your next step today and buy the book. You can find it at rent2rentsuccess.com slash book. And I'll see you again next time. Until then, remember, believe bigger, be bolder, be a game changer.